0: Welcome to What The Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds in Under 30, Violations of the Geneva Suggestion. I'm your co-host, Josh, and with me are Phil. Say hi, Phil. Hi,
1: Phil. Hello. And Skyler. How you doing, Skyler? Neither of you, as far as I can tell, are plagued right now, correct? That is correct. recovered. Mm, Not ideal. Despite some
0: (laughs) close encounters... (laughs) <laughs> so some context for our listeners we're recording on july 23rd weird hollow is the season and i never thought i'd say this again but it is raining storm cats and demon dogs out there two magic-based war bands are ravaging the meta so a quick reminder to check in on your local wizards they uh might be a little high on themselves and in danger of suffering some backlash right about now our topic for today a new skaven warband is skittering towards us from the sewers. In Weird Hollow, but first let's hit our regularly scheduled beats. First, some community shout-outs. We have our local tournament here in the Madison area on August 13th. Skylar, you got some more details on that?
1: Sure. Uh, It's going to be three rounds of best of three in the championship format, and we hope to see you there. That is going to be...
2: At our normal location in Noble Knight Games in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. So if you're in the area, please come on by. Uh, We'd love to have you. And
1: uh, if you're not, let us know that you're rooting for us anyway. (laughs) Absolutely. And for more information, we have built a page around the event that can be found on themortalrealms.com. All right. And any other community shout outs, y'all? I have one. We had a U.S. Open recently in Tacoma, Washington with a grand clash uh, following the Nemesis format. And it was taken by one Gnarl Spirit pack fielded by Damien. Shout out, Damien. Uh, But my community shout out actually goes to fourth place. uh, And that is uh, Fish Mode from the Spent Glory blog rocking Sons of Valmorn. And getting all the way up to that fourth place spot with them. Going hard
0: mode there. You love to see an unsupported bastard move up to the top.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) referring to to Sir Gendron, of course. (laughs) Yeah. And if you would like to learn more about uh, Sons of Velmorn competing. In this Grand Clash, Fishmode has taken to his blog and done a worthy write-up of the occasion that I recommend taking a look at.
2: Sweet. Cool to see somebody uh, still working on him. Still uh, working, uh, trying to figure that puzzle out.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to head over to that blog and see what's cooking because that was a nut I couldn't crack. <laughs> All right, so what the heck is going on with you two? Skyler, what's up? What's good?
1: Well, I recently uh, recorded our last episode. <laughs> uh, Whoa. So in the space uh, of the two episodes, I, I will say I got um, some hobby organization done, and that feels really great. Uh, my war bands, specifically the models, for them started sprawling multiple shelves uh, inside like desks and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and so now I have some battle foam magna racks that uh, fit the entire, you know, entourage that exists today with a little room to grow. So I kind of like customized uh, a magna rack solution that could fit to the space I had. And uh, I'm just happy to have that all done and have everything magnetized and ready to go there definitely an unsung glory of
0: the the hobby is getting that organization done phil how about yourself what's new what's good
2: well uh as mentioned recently recovered from the blessings of nurgle um actually the last episode that i was on i (laughs) unknowingly yet at that point was actually fighting covid um it was like just the very start of it, but uh, quickly took me down after that. So I haven't done a whole lot, but I am very much looking forward to our tournament. I've continued repping um, the Damatan Storm Coven. Uh, they have been fun to figure out for me, although looking at online... Uh, successes that they've been having maybe maybe not so much as a wide you know across the whole community so maybe i'll have to switch back to my lizards here pretty soon since they're not getting as much love but it's been fun casting spells again after what's been or what feels like an eternity um yeah that's about it uh josh have you been doing anything in the hobby lately
0: I have, I've actually been, uh, kind of splitting my attention between two game systems and it shows I've got, Ooh. a, have <laughs> got a Domitian storm coven of my own. That's, uh, about, uh, half to two thirds painted. And I've got a 40 K chaos Knight <laughs> that is also sitting on my hobby table mm. about two thirds painted. So that is you know, chasing two hobbies and both of them are escaping
2: significantly larger
0: undertaking, Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. Shall we uh, talk about some diseased rats?
1: I would love to. I'd say before we move on from what's going on with us and community shout outs, I'm going to combine one together because this Thursday night was a Thursday night after our League had concluded. So, you know, directly following finals, uh, generally you'll see a lot of players take a break during this week or you'll see people, you know, just uh, come out and with this, you know, relaxed energy, just throw down. And sometimes we do crazy game modes, including Arena uh, Mortis, you know, as kind of a palate cleanser. And this week, (laughs) four of them sat down to a four-player multiplayer game that lasted a little over two hours and they invited me to the table. They're like, I'm sure we can make five players work. I'm like, no,
0: no, no. I'm sure you can not. <laughs> Bell Morn's so, taking fourth place. Multiplayers hitting the table.
1: What is this hobby? So shout <laughs> out to uh, Bobby, Alex, Jazz and Ben for all tackling that uh and ben special shout out to you for um uh, your buccaneers pirates and uh you heard me correctly that's not a pirate ogre that's a pirate pirate ogre conversion that has happened as if getting into the spirit of our next war band already Speaking of our next warband and bad segues, let's, let's <laughs> uh, talk
0: about those. So we'll uh, we'll break this down section by section. We'll do some first impressions. We'll break down their fighter cards, and then go into each subsection of card in turn. So starting off, let's do a little uh, a little breakdown of the plot card that they come with. So for starters, this uh, this is their gig. They're all about uh, corrupting different regions of the board so similar to a lot of uh a lot of decks that have their own specifications and their own desires like being in enemy territory being in no man's land or being near no man's land this one is at the end of an action phase a player's and or no one's territory are corrupted by your warband if one or more of the following are true two or more friendly fighters are in that territory one or more friendly befoulers on an objective in that territory. And then when a territory becomes corrupted, it remains corrupted until the end of the next action phase, even if this is as the result of a power card. So that's a big mouthful basically saying that if you've got two fighters in an area or you've got one fighter with a keyword on an objective in said area, Two gains a keyword. So Skylar Phil, talk to me. First impressions about this warband as you were kind of coming in and looking at them.
1: Yeah, I can uh, I can kick that off. So for me, the thing I like the most about this plot card is, and you kind of figure this out as you look at the the fighters. You you see the keyword here, befowler and you think to yourself, okay, how many of them are befowlers And when you look, you know, we've got. Six fighters, and four of them are inherently befowlers. Two of them are lacking that. So what I like is that two or more fighters can make this happen regardless of keyword and regardless of objective-based positioning. So I find that really interesting that as long as you can get, you know, a count of two into the territory lines here, you can work towards this. It does immediately, like, come to mind as something that you're not gonna see. You're not gonna see your Inspire round one. So you kinda gotta play round one safe. And that's something that, like, I'm just really familiar with, with, you know, cutting my teeth on Skace Wild Hunt. It's like, you gotta figure out which four you're charging with, and it's not Um, And <laughs> um, you're not going to gain the benefits of charging into Inspire until next round so a little akin to that for me um but those are those are kind of the initial beats uh what about you phil
2: so this to me you know on first read i thought this feels weird um this feels a little bit like kagra's ravagers in that you're having to like work towards this board state control thing but the benefits from doing so are delayed and that kind of (laughs) set off some alarm bells because i was like congress ravagers really had a rough time of it trying to make their thing work and so uh i tried to read through the cards sort of in order so i was like this is the first thing about the warband that i read so i was like this seems bad but Uh, I, I wanted to reserve judgment until you get to the rest of the cards to be like, is there something that makes this better? Um, and I think it is, it's not as bad as ravagers. Not that that's a very high bar to beat, but, um, I think there's some interesting tricks here. And so it's, it's certainly a, a push pull dynamic. I think it'd be remiss not to mention that their inspire mechanic is directly tied to this. So, um, they need two or more territories corrupted by your warband specifically to be able to get this inspire. So even in the mirror match, you're not going to be able to more easily get your inspire. It also feels a little bit like a bookkeeping nightmare because if you have multiple people or even, I guess, just for yourself having to keep track of like, okay, I corrupted this territory, this territory that lasts until the end of this next activation phase, then it goes away. What if I've inspired a new one, like or corrupted a new one? I should say. So it's kind of a lot, but I'm here for it. We can we can puzzle this one out together.
0: So, not to get too deep into the weeds with that, but one of the things that uh, Skyler and I did during a sample game was we used the handy dandy uh, markers that are in most of the core boxes and we used one color to show when a territory would be corrupted at the end of the round just to help us kind of keep track, and then we used a different color to show when something was actively corrupted uh, sure. and then had those on kind of the, the edge of the board in one of those little half hexes so it wasn't getting in the way of anything and was clearly visible.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and that, that was an exercise with... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was an exercise with wanting to get used to the mechanic, just kind of like immediately we're both like, OK, new warband on the table. They do this corruption thing. Let's take note of that as we're playing, you know, and that type of bookkeeping is not necessarily something that a um, Plague Pack player would necessarily want to broadcast uh, to their opponent. Hey, you know, if you don't do something about this, it's about to corrupt. But for the purposes of learning, you know, when corruption is going to take place, you know, between both players, it was uh, a nice habit to do. And I still think even
0: in uh, normal play, it would be kind of a courtesy to show when they are corrupted,
1: just to give kind of a
0: a visual signifier, because there are cards that do give buffs and different, different bents to that kind of stuff. So at least knowing when that's, Actively happening would be
1: courteous. Yeah. Some sort of marker that indicates corruption has occurred. Um, this, you know, territory is currently corrupted would definitely, uh, benefit them from a bookkeeping standpoint for sure.
0: And on that note, I think the only thing that really kind of threw me for a loop was trying to keep track, even though we were keeping pretty good track, keeping track of when things were corrupted, uh, mid action phase that was when it was like "Eh, how do we show that this lasts
1: through the next right action phase right and on that note i wish that this plot card included some sort of line uh, just clarifying that a territory corrupted can become corrupted because there isn't a line saying otherwise i believe that you can And that's the way that we ended up playing it is, you know, because this corruption lasts until the end of the next activation phase, right? But if you want to keep that corruption going, then you got to re-corrupt, right? And hopefully you don't have to wait until corruption breaks. And I think the answer there is nothing says that you can't corrupt an already corrupted area. So therefore you can, right? They would clarify you cannot. And so because because you can, then you're good. But it would have been nice to... You know, just get a line on this FA or you know, plot card that says, you know, a already corrupted territory can be corrupted again. Um, what they did go out of their way to include is for the mirror match, and happy to see that a territory can be corrupted by multiple war bands at the same time. So you can have uh you can own the corruption from a different war band there, I believe is is how I'm reading that. Is it has to be your corruption?
2: Yeah. It, yeah. it tracks per warband.
1: Yeah. Yep. So that's nice. Yeah. All right. So those are our
0: first impressions, the plot card, kind of our hopes and dreams about this warband. So let's do just a quick deep dive on the fighter cards themselves. And folks, if you want to see a full breakdown of each of these individual cards and our thoughts and feelings on each one, you can go to whatthehex.com and see our blog post on that there.
1: Oh, we don't have that URL, but themortalrealms.com will do the trick for him. You know what? I wish we had
0: whatthehex.com. <laughs> Santa Claus, if you're listening, that's what I would like for Christmas. A new
2: URL. Here's my
0: own URL, or our own URL, so to speak. All right moving on into the fighter cards so just a quick overview so these are pretty speedy skittery little boys they're all on move four except for the teeny tiniest of rat boys he's at move five so he's a zoomy little little bugger and defensive profiles kind of kind of rough amongst them So they are all on a single die, and some of them inspire from a single dodge up into a shield. Uh, Most of those are the uh, more important ones, except for, again, the littlest boy. He goes from one dodge all the way up to two dodge. So having the most defensive dice profile in the entire lot. Uh, We go from our leader having four wounds, and moving on down from a smattering of three wounds, and some fighters with two wounds, inspiring up to three, and then our tiniest little ready boy, who we love and adore, is at one wound. It's a choice. (laughs) It it is definitely a choice, and we'll talk more about him once we kind of get to his profile. Oh, boy, will (laughs) we? Our leader here, he's got a pretty typical leader staff profile on his attack, and then he houses the keyword Befowler. I want to give a shout out to our listeners here, as I personally uh, just took Befowler as a keyword in our game this morning. And not realizing that it actually did something. So on this fighter card, you've got Befowler. At the start of each round, stagger each enemy fighter adjacent to this fighter. So, don't get tripped up. That is not just a keyword. It does do something. He inspires up to one of my least favorite upgrades amongst... uh, Amongst Inspire mechanics, and that is moving from two hammer accuracy up to three sword accuracy. Really, doing you, you the same that? amount of damage and grievous. Ah, see. I dislike that because yes, it is statistically more likely, but
1: it feels bad. Ah, I mean when it says grievous and inspires into just more dice in general. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to see it. Oh yeah, it's. It's still my least favorite profile. <laughs> or, excuse me, my least favorite Inspire ah, bonus. You know, circling back to your Befowler comment, something that they've actually updated since the starter pack, or the latest starter set that we saw with Sepulchral Guard and Striders, not the new one yet, haven't seen that. Um, they said that if a keyword underneath their name is upright, um, it's like an actual keyword where, well, you know what? And then there's like supposed to be italicized text if it's like, hey, Zinch, what's up? Um, So you almost think that priest would have been italicized here and Buffalo would have been like straight up. Um, Huh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'll definitely be diving back into the rulebook later to see what that (laughs) (laughs) distinction was supposed to be. Sounds good. Well,
0: next up we've got our... uh second in command almost you might call him is Rabidius Skench so he's got a uh, he's got two attack profiles to his name and he is also a befowler so his first attack profile is a range two two sword three damage just single target bonk it's uh, it's not very accurate but it's a rude one for sure next up here and this is a little bit more tasty and kind of gives him a little bit more flavor is a one range two sword two damage scything attack so uh can confirm that while inaccurate it it definitely sends a message if you can get it out turn one isn't that right Skylar
1: yeah yeah can send a message uh turns out you can still roll crits uh regardless of how many dice you're throwing uh turns out
2: yeah so uh it's yeah. Very reminiscent of um, Ard Skull from the, the Morgox Crushes, mm-hmm. where he starts on two Fury, three damage, and I think he starts with Scything as well. He, he ends up with Scything no matter what. I know that for sure. And it's like. Yeah, he's not his, the
0: most accurate boy, but oh, buddy, if yeah, he hits, he, he hits. And keep uh, Yup.
2: You better hope he doesn't hit because he's. And doing our work. boy,
0: our boy Rabidius here, he inspires up to a little bit more accuracy, so goes up to hammers on his single bunk and gains an extra die on his scything attack. Next up, we've got Mister Itchet, so he's got a pretty, pretty mellow profile <laughs> until you look at that text so he is also a befouler and everyone but Skabik has minion if i haven't mentioned that yet uh he's got a very simple attack profile two dice looking for swords single damage you know nothing nothing to write home about really but the fun is in his bonus action so it's book of woe action roll one magic die for each enemy fighter in the same territory as this fighter On a roll of focus, deal one damage to that fighter. That, when he inspires, goes to channel instead. So you go from a 1 in 3 chance of dealing a single ping damage to every fighter, or excuse me, a 1 in 3 chance each of dealing damage to each fighter in the same territory as him, going up to a 50-50 shot of dealing a damage to each fighter. That's a, that's a lot of ping. It's a lot of ping for one action.
2: It certainly can be. Uh, It's a lot of setup um, since you can't do this on like a charge. And if you have charged, you're not going to be able to do it again. So it's, it's frequently one of those things that we see where it's like, oh, this action is really cool, but the action economy to do it is not great. So I do wonder, like, what are going to be the tricks that people have to use to make this effective? Um, I don't know. Did you get to do it at all in the game you guys played?
0: So I got to do it once, and it lucked out, and Skylar, I think it did... I think it did damage to two of them
1: out of the five. That is correct.
0: Which, on a one and three... Pretty statistically consistent. And it happened to do a ping to the one that I needed one damage on to kill. So is that going to be a silver bullet and make these guys the the be all end all? No, but uh, it's definitely nothing to sleep on.
1: I like the 50-50 tied to an action. If you can inspire them going into round two, like there's a chance... You know, you can get him over the line so that he can take that action on the most populated territory, right? That could be momentous, but again, it could be nothing. Um, I think the focus is a little rough uh, prior to the Inspire.
0: I think so, too. Um, I I do like that it really incentivizes not doing it right away, right? Like, if you use all of your tech to get him into enemy territory and just to make that pop off that's that's going to be when you're going to have the most target rich environment but after you've inspired you know fighters are going to be charging into your territory they're going to be trying to claim objectives in no man's land they're going to be kind of all over the place so while it is more accurate you're going to have fewer bodies to use it on so i think i think that's pretty fairly balanced from a a use case
2: do you think it would have been too good if it also registered on crits?
0: I think so. I think a fifty-fifty out the gate uh, ping on everybody in enemy's territory, moving up to a sixty-six percent chance of dealing a ping to everybody. Um, you know what? I I I would almost have considered crits to do backlash. Oh sure. So maybe as a kind of incentive to not just do this time after time after time.
2: Yeah. Or maybe limiting it to once per round. At that point, then it becomes way too dangerous, right? If you had to every crit dealt backlash. Yeah. Backlash.
0: Maybe cap it. Like once (laughs) Once per per action. (laughs) Once per action, suffer backlash if you roll any crits. But anyway, we're uh, yeah. we're getting a bit into it there. So our next two are pretty plain Jane as far as things go. So we've got Poxlix and Ricket. Uh, both very similar defensive profiles. They're going to be on a single dodge, inspiring up to one shield and inspiring from two wounds to three wounds. Uh, Ricket's got a long stick, and Poxlix has two knives. So naturally, Poxlix is throwing three swords two four when he inspires and Ricket is throwing two swords but going up in more consistent damage. So he goes from having Grievous with one to just a flat two damage.
1: So I really These like it. are
0: kind of your, your chaff bodies.
1: Yeah. So they've
0: got a little bit to play with with their attack profiles but for all intents and purposes they only have the minion keyword and not the befouler. So they're kind of This is kind of your pair to throw together to hold one territory as opposed to trying to claim an objective.
1: I do really like it when they shore up Grievous damage into the Inspire. I just I think that's a nice chef's kiss to when you have a Grievous on the on the previous side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like taking your lumps and learning a little more accuracy. It's
2: it's a it's the equivalent right of going from two smash to three swords. Right, mm. you're you're getting that just the tiniest boost is it? Yeah, is it? pretty much <laughs> it <laughs> is an improvement but not a dealing lot
0: dealing a damage on a one in six chance versus just doing a extra flat damage if you succeed i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree on that one
1: what i will say that i think we can agree on is I like the consistency here with the two minions and their stat line, right? It's like, okay, so my minions that aren't a follower, what happens to them? Well, when they inspire, they go from single dodge to single shield, and they go from two health to three, and they both do that. You don't have to think too hard about, like, oh, does this one to you know uh two dodge and stay at two health while this one goes up to that one shield and that three health. Like, no, it's your minions that aren't followers will gain an extra wound and a short up uh defensive dice there. I like and that. speaking of that
0: consistency, they they kind of knocked it out of the park on visual representation here too. Cause all of our uh fighters that have a baked in Befowler profile have either with our uh, our next fighter, the littlest boy, either a uh, chunk of warpstone or a stink basket that they're carrying. Stink basket. <laughs> so it, it definitely has yeah. a visual indicator of, oh, these guys have that keyword.
2: For all you people who love this clan of uh clan pestilence we do know that it's called a plague sensor don't worry you're not hating on your work continue
0: i i echo that statement but i am not going to stop calling it a stink basket no that's fine that's that's just it's happening now so on to our littlest boy so mr scritter here as previously mentioned, his uh, his defensive profile is, I would say, a choice bordering on oversight. So he's got one dodge, one health uninspired, and two dodge, one health when inspired. And he's got, again, not digging on the uh, clan pestilence lovers out there, he has a... Uh, a keyword that is, and I'm not making this up worthless. (laughs) If this fighter would be taken out of action, remove it from the battlefield and clear all counters and persisting effects from this fighter. It is not taken out of action. So worded very similarly to our least favorite fish on the podcast. Yeah. And (laughs) does not have the common courtesy to give up glory. Now, given that he is a one-and-done kind of guy, I kind of understand that. Uh, and his attack profile is, once again, nothing to write home about. Two two dice looking for swords and a single damage on both the uninspired
1: and inspired side. Okay, Lehan wants to know why you're not willing to write home. That's Lee his profile.
0: knows exactly why I don't write home. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, oh, and in case it needed any clarification, this little boy is also a beast, so cannot hold objectives. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so when I first read this card, I thought to myself, like, as I was reading Worthless, I would see amongst the text there that either A, there was a way to bring him back akin to the fish, maybe at the start of a round. Like, I (laughs) I thought... OK, like, you know, if the rat dies, uh, this little cute scritter, uh will at least, you know, because he's got that one health, um, be able to see him at the start of each round. And he'll just, you know, respawn or or, you know, another rat enters the scene each round. Uh, not not present or at least if he's not going to respawn some way to negate ping damage. Right. Like some inherent uh, I cannot be pinged. I must. I must die by an attack action.
2: <laughs>
0: no, not present. <laughs> yeah. No. He. Uh, I. Truly I would gross. have loved more of the respawn and for it to be at the end of an action phase, simply to give a little bit of a boost to their uh, corrupted, corrupted. Yeah. game plan. So even limiting it to an already occupied territory, so you need to have at least one in that territory to make things happen. Um, maybe bringing them in on an edge hex, kind of mimicking that rat swarm motif, or even just a starting hex, just to kind of give it some limitations and some, like... We, we can't just go fluffy for the sake of, you know, abandoning that there are rules and gameplay mechanics, but giving him some sort of utility so that he wasn't just ping bait, like exchanging a ping card for a body that doesn't give up glory is, is kind of where I'm at with
1: this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, right away this fighter tells you that Daring Delvers is going to be a rough matchup for you because if you want to use this fighter to move, there's a chance that Quick Roots can come out and just take him down. Um, And in champs. Actually,
0: he, uh, now that I look at this a little bit more, he doesn't score sudden demise for your opponents because he would not be taken out of action.
2: Oh, uh, so he
0: would just be removed from the board. So while while he is ping bait and he's easy to deal with, at least he's not giving up glory in any sense of the word when it comes to surges. Uh, he is going to be out of action, but yeah. not taken out of action.
1: Yeah, that's something if, that we saw if in that our game. that makes sense. I needed a count of two fighters out of action right yeah and so i took one down the hard way and then i went you know what i'm gonna pick on scritter real quick uh knock scritter off the board nice and easy and you know we were both like i know uh, yep i don't get a glory for this right um spine fin in action here um but then when it came to end phase scoring i at least got to count it as out of action so there there is that uh it can be an easy target for your opponents if they're if they're looking for that sort of end phase
0: Yeah, so it's one of those where he's not a desirable target, but he's definitely not one that you really have to commit too much to.
1: Yeah. I will say if you're playing champs, you're going to be super nervous about seeing Lethal Ward if you're using this guy to befoul an objective. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, It's an odd design choice to be sure. It's also... One that's often been a headache when we have fighters that say they are not taken out of action because there's a lot of cards that trigger around if a fighter would be taken out of action or, you know, all this stuff. And then immediately has to become this question of does that does this block all of that? Because the fighters technically not taken out of action as written, probably. But it's just it's annoying um, yeah. to have that wording um on a card so now that we've got two and it's
1: oh three we three. got we got the first dog too
2: oh yeah, yeah yeah first dog but it's not inherent to the dog it's just well, one. And the dog is the also dog. technically
0: it's, taken out of action he's just not given up just glory Doesn't
2: giving away glory yeah um yeah but uh you know i mean it it's it's fine i don't want to like lean too much into judging anything here just because uh we've only played as far as i know you guys have only played the one game and i haven't gotten to actually touch models yet so that is the last fighter uh for the warband i i'm not sure what to make of these guys like if i had to put them in a category you know we've got we've got our hold objective warbands we've got our control warbands we've got are aggro warbands i'm not entirely sure where i'd put these guys at first glance i'm thinking they're like an aggro hold flex but man their defensive stats really don't support that well
0: yeah they're right off the rip my initial impression with them was the the whole corrupted thing had me thinking like okay this is this is a plague warband that wants to spread that plague and maybe bait your opponent into a chase two rabbits and catch neither scenario. So basically you're kind of spreading out around the outskirts of the board and trying to cover as much territory as possible. And if a couple of them die, oh no, I've still got, you know, one or two territories that are corrupted and can work with that um but then all of their all of their abilities and all of their profiles really want you to be kind of hugging and supporting other fighters so it's kind of that split personality of i'm not sure exactly what you want me to do just based off of these fighter cards um it wasn't until kind of looking into the objectives that i was like ah. Maybe maybe there's something here. Uh, so Skyler, unless you have some final thoughts on the uh, fighter cards, we can move into those objectives.
1: Yeah. Uh, before we jump away, so it was going to drive me nuts. So I quickly double checked the uh, on Warhammer World Starter Set rulebook as well as the cards that came with them. I'm talking about the Far Striders and the Guard here. Uh, I'm just talking about the keywords that we see listed here: uh, Priest and Befowler, uh, Minion and Befowler. And it looks like. Uh, according to the new rules, um, we would see those in bold italic for priest minion because they're essentially just references, whereas something like the Fowler um, they're called out underneath their name. Uh, kind of a horse apiece. you know I could see it italicized or standing up bold uh, because they talk about how like keywords that mean something, Are going to be in bold, whereas keywords for reference are going to be in a bold italic. So I guess all that really means is that at this point in time, uh, the starter set, and this wouldn't be um, unheard of, you know, is kind of ahead of itself a little bit here. So these fighters, you know, were probably. Uh, designed and, and ready to go before they decided to make the shift to bold italics for different keywords and what the difference between standing bold and italicized would mean so um, neither here nor there but it was going to bug the crap out of me uh so i wanted to take a look and see why um <laughs> s- since these are coming out after our starter set and yeah you know maybe we'll we'll see you know, a consistency with that going forward into into the next season. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Another mystery
0: solved by Skyler and the
1: gang. Yeah, and
0: <laughs> so, moving you, on to you definitely
2: know now that if you need to torture Skyler, uh, give him a weird rules question and don't give him access to a rule book. It'll drive <laughs> them nuts.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, the about, what about geneva suggestions? <laughs> you heard it here first folks
2: also calling denying skylar access access
0: to a to a rule book is a war crime (laughs) moving on to our objectives here so now that we've gotten the fighter profiles out of the way, we're gonna kind of move ahead to some highlights of each of the card categories. So starting with our objectives, let's kind of go around the room and we'll just go kind of in the same order. I'm gonna start with Phil, go to Skyler, and then I'll give kind of my own favorite. So Phil, go ahead and let me know, what was your uh, what's your highlight objective here? What kind of speaks this Warband's language?
2: Yeah. Um... So having just gotten off of Scritter, I feel like it's it's apt to mention this one. Um, He's in the artwork and probably is what's referenced in the title. Uh, This objective is called Useful Distraction. This is a surge that you score immediately after an activation step in which a friendly minion was supporting a friendly fighter or a supporting friendly minion was the target of an attack action.
0: Excuse me. That was also a surviving friendly minion, not a supporting friendly minion on the second part
2: uh yeah an activation step in which a friendly minion was supporting a friendly fighter or a surviving friendly minion was the target of an attack action not worthless uh so this is an absolutely automatic score you will guaranteed be able to score this every single game which makes it an auto-include. Um, it's not very creative, but it's certainly very good. And I think you would be in a very weird position to not want to use this objective every single time you play this warband.
0: I would quite agree on that.
1: Skylar, any uh, any of note for you in the objectives? Sorry, uh, just circling back through the surges here because that was my pick. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to pick an end phase. Go oh, I not too hot on them. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that their surges have quite a bit to offer. Uh, Blessed by Corruption is another one featuring our useful little scritter. And the surge here is score this immediately after an opponent's activation step if a friendly minion is on an objective in enemy territory. And the reason I like this is if you know it's in your deck, you can toss one right over the line kind of at the start. Um, however, um you know speaking kind of towards their game plan i actually think you're gonna want one in no one's territory as an easy way uh to corrupt that territory regardless you know if you can just sneak in sit on one everybody's a minion that isn't your leader so everybody can help make this happen the one thing that's of note here that makes this harder Than your usual, like, hey, where's somebody at the end of an activation, is it is immediately after an opponent's activation step. So you're coming off of your power step from the activation where maybe you set this up, um, or the power step where you set this up, and then you're having to continue to hold that uh, past their activation here, and their profiles aren't the greatest for that. (laughs) However, Uh, I want to call out, I guess at this time, that Void Cursed Thralls is a potential pairing for them. And if you can survive the hit, then you can stick around. That's true. That's a big if. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that I want to call out
0: as kind of a, a highlight is Rabid Harbingers. And here's, here's the card text. So Surge, score this immediately after an opponent's activation step if your Warband holds two or more objectives and one or more friendly Befoulers are on an objective token in your territory. So this and some cards like it were kind of what, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a the greatest of all strategies, but kind of gave me the design space that these these guys are looking for here and it's kind of hold back inspire and then advance right so basically this war this warband and this surge in particular wants you to hold in your territory inspire get that get those two territories corrupted and then do an all-out surge with your inspired attack profiles. Cause these guys aren't here for a long time. They're here for a good time. <laughs> and this, this card in particular kind of highlights that, that play style for me.
2: Yeah, I would agree. But again, they, they have these weird other cards that it's like, sometimes you give them this impression that it's like, Oh, we can kind of hang back and, and wait and build things up. And then they've got these other, End phase cards that are just like get out there and be aggressive, um,
0: like and I think I, I think those are the ones that you really want to ignore on these guys.
2: <laughs> like I mean, it's like half their objectives. It
0: it is half their objectives because they do require kills, and their attack profiles aren't terrible. But when they start out they're inaccurate, and they have really squishy profiles. So you want to be able to have as many of those brutal, souped-up attack profiles in the late game as possible, and you want those to be more denial and disruption as opposed to, you know, hold tech. Because these guys aren't going to be that great at holding anyway. One of them, for, for starters, can't hold. So I really think it's going to come down to what car, what universals are available, particularly in Nemesis and Championship. And I think Skyler kind of hit the nail on the head with uh, Void Cursed Thralls being something they want because eh, you might not knock, knock the, the
1: rat out, but at least you're not going to knock them off of an objective if they're Void Cursed. Yeah, I think that's going to be big for them. You know, and with Rabbit Harbingers, you know, we, we've already hit a few wish lists where we're kind of trying to get in the shoes of the design space here and think through like, you know, f- when we take a look at this, what are we feeling is missing? Now, we don't have the reps in yet, right? But like, um, oh, I wish that we'd seen this. So we've kind of been developing this wish list. And here with Rabbit Harbingers, I wish it was just your warband is on two feature tokens, you're, you're, you know, you're you know, you friendly fighters, um, on two feature tokens. It's interesting to me that they leave scritter out of this equation here. And in, you know, forces a hold. And I feel like that would have put more pressure on dealing with this fighter that isn't going to give you glory. And I, I would have found that interesting, but again, that's wishlist land. Um, it's just interesting that it's a hold uh objective.
2: Yeah, continues to make me feel like they're designed to be flex where you're doing two different things and I I will I guess continue to reserve judgment until I actually see more reps with them, but it feels like it's a it's a tall order to ask them to be flex. They don't they're not like a warband where they can rely on reviving fighters to guarantee that they can continue to flex. They don't have multiple defense dice to just try and survive the onslaught. Um, it's just a little bit weird. I I guess if I had to say this is probably outside of Velmorns, this might be my least favorite war band that's come out in these two sort of half seasons so far.
1: Oh snap! So uh, you'd put Loon Court above these these fellas?
2: I think Loon Court at least are more design coherent. I don't I don't want to play <laughs> Loon but like Loon Court <laughs> or Aggro, right? You don't have to worry about it. You're just like, well, <laughs> we're doing some weird stuff. Here we go.
0: I think That's- you uh, I think you might want to revisit Loon Court and then. See if that statement still stands.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think it does. At least in championship, it does. I don't remember what they do in rivals and I don't really care. <laughs> but like these guys in champs are going to be a mess, right? I mean, so I champs think is actually.
1: To... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, champs is where I think they really have legs. I actually think that the rivals package is um, where they're the most rough. And I feel like refinement through pairings is going to. Um, rough or you know shine out those edges um, with you know a rival or sorry with a nemesis pairings we're looking at I, I think like beast bound assault and uh, void curse thralls as strong pairings to really um, give you the chance to start you know, going towards a focused game plan and cutting out um, what what you feel isn't going to work for you. But then, and I know we're getting ourself, uh, ahead of ourselves here. We're only in the objectives uh, conversationally in the podcast. But as you then get to dip into championship, and uh, in that case, you get to take both things from Beastbound Assault and Void Curse Thralls. Um, uh, but it doesn't end there. You get to dip into the Chaos Grand Alliance. And I think that they have some of the strongest Grand Alliance cards available to them, including you know, weighty blessing as an obvious pick here to start helping with their defensive profiles. So before we get into too much of that, we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves. We've still got two more categories to go
0: over. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got our gambit cards. So same round. Phil, go ahead and let me know what your highlight pick of the gambits is.
2: Yeah, so... Um... One power card that they have that I really like is Overpowering Odors. Uh, So this is a reaction that you get to play during a friendly fighter's range 1 or 2 attack action after the defense roll. So you'll know that you are going to use it when you need it, which is always great to see. If the attack action would fail and there were one or more successes in the attack roll, you then get to add 1 to the number of successes in the attack. So basically, this is like getting to just sort of sneak your attack through when you need to. Um, I I have to imagine for a warband that has somewhat limited starting accuracy that this is going to be a huge accuracy boost. Um, And these kinds of surprise accuracy boosts, I think, are always really rough because people think like, I'm in the clear here. I don't need to like play out extra defensive tech because their chance of hitting isn't very high. And then they sneak this in just because they managed to tie on your successes.
0: I would uh, I would definitely echo those sentiments until your opponent rolls all defensive crits. Well, I mean, I'm know. looking at you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's looking at microphone.
1: uh I w- <laughs> I'll add to that look I'm receiving that at least you can hold it in hand, right? And. Yeah. Uh, I think that's exciting, right? You don't have to show this in advance and hang your hopes and dreams on if the conditions will happen. Like, the moment this comes out, it's going to feel really good. It's going to change the results instantly, right? And the fact that you get to hold it until you see, you know, it's not going to go through, right? Uh, means you're not wasting it on attack that would have already gone through. So I think, I think you're going to be pretty happy with this card most of the time. Um, yes, crit defenses happen. But when they don't here you're either a not having to spend it because your attacks are working or B it'll push it over the edge and and get it out. I I like this card a lot. I think it's, um, one of their strongest cards and probably my favorite as well.
2: I'm sorry. I keep picking your
1: favorites. Oh, no, that's (laughs) (laughs) all right. Skylar. So since he picked your favorite, what's, uh, what's your second favorite? I've got a runner up, uh, already lined up here. We've got festering sneak. Uh, you know, That I like it because it says push two and I'm on the what the hex cast (laughs) right now Um, bringing this to you. Uh, And this is choose a friendly minion. Push the chosen minion up to two hexes. After that push, that minion must be adjacent to one or more enemy fighters and or a friendly leader. So anytime you see push two uh you want to straight straighten up in your seat a little and go Ooh, what's that about and the fact that it's minions is fantastic because this simply means you're moving anybody that isn't your leader happy to see that um, i'm happy to see that it's not leader restricted um, but it does have the flexibility to uh, if your leader is alive use your leader as a landing target Um, or close the gap on an enemy fighter. And that could help you with supporting, uh, against, uh, your, or supporting an attack that you're bringing in on your next activation or help, you know, get you into that spot. Um, maybe they're charged out and you just need to get over the line. Maybe you want to have a shot in an attack, um, or even just that position, you know, going into your next turn, give you a, a little further boost off your movement speed. I just have only good things to say about this card. I like it a lot.
0: All right, all right. I uh, Coming in with my pick, I've got Rancid Vomit. Just kidding. I don't <laughs> love this one. So that one is uh, that one's roll one magic die on a roll of focus, choose an enemy fighter adjacent to one or more friendly befowlers deal two damage to the chosen fighter so it's got a positional and 33 percent of the time it works every time (laughs) leave this one at home folks i would say (laughs) save
1: yourself the misery that card is in line with its flavor text it's about as disgusting as it gets
0: (laughs) indeed now on the on the realsies side I would have to say my favorite pick is Pestilent Blessing. So it's choose a friendly minion. The chosen minions, range one, range two, attack actions have Grievous one. In addition, the chosen minion is a Befouler. This effect persists until the end of the round or until that minion is taken out of action. So I like this for two reasons. One, I was like, eh, all of the ones that have Grievous, are not befowlers, and all of the ones that are already befoulers don't have grievous so like any time you're doing this you're really only giving them grievous one until i remembered we're in the weird hollow baby this is <laughs> this is 2023 and grievous stacks so i uh i felt a little bit better about that one knowing that it was able to stack with that so if you did have somebody that was already a befowler, okay now they're working on grievous too uh in addition that befowler keyword just helps do the things that they want to do
2: yeah which i think there's a few different cards here and we don't need to talk about all of them but i think there's a couple of different things that'll like help move you towards the corruption game plan in ways mm-hmm. that are maybe subtle enough that it's like, oh, wait, I can actually do this thing. Um, I think Festering Sneak is actually a great example for that, um, in that, like, I need to push a fighter into a position to corrupt this territory. Well, being able to do that after all the activations of a round is a good way to make sure you just don't end up dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. It um i think quickly move move is a similar situation you can make a friendly minion make a move um, love that name which indeed is for equal reasons probably good for their game plan and then i think it would be remiss not to mention they do have one power card here that lets you try (laughs) keyword on try to corrupt a territory in the power phase so um, this is a Manifestation of the Great Plague. So you can choose a friendly priest and roll a magic dice. And on a roll of a channel or a crit, the territory is uh, corrupted that the priest is in. I don't know that you take this, but it often it seems like a good way to help shore up your corruption strategy. And so I feel like people are going to need to experiment with stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it, also kind of feels bad because it's like, not only is it not guaranteed, it's now taking up one of my gambit slots for not
1: doing something more useful. I'd like to talk about this card for a second because sure. it is restricted to a priest and the, the effect is going to happen in the priest territory. Now, without an upgrade spoilers, uh, <laughs> granting somebody priest status, this is your leader. So if you're willing to risk your leader's positioning to make this happen, I wish it wasn't on a 50-50. I look at the Mad Mob, they want Primacy, right? It's a 66% <clears throat> chance. Oh, okay. Sorry. 66. Okay. Um, but to to bring it to the Mad Mob, and, and you're correct. I was thinking focus and, and uh, crit there. But um, the Mad Mob, they want Primacy. They actually have a Gambit card that just says grab the Primacy token, just, just go for it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually flexible beyond that. But the point there is that that's guaranteed. They have a card in their deck that guarantees them a piece of their game plan. So with them looking at generally two or more territories corrupted, I'm not sure why we're hanging one territory corrupted on both positioning and a dice roll. As well as having this card in hand.
2: I would agree. I I definitely agree. I think maybe maybe the other thing that really bugs me about Corrupted is that it's so temporary. Like if it lasted for the rest of the game, it would start to feel like this inevitable thing where eventually they're all going to be corrupted and it'd be super hard to deal with. But because it goes away, it's like, well, as long as you can kill the rats, eventually, you know, by the end of the game, not all the territories will be corrupted. Yeah. Um
0: and on that note, I, I think that that sentiment is kind of echoed in Rancid Vomit. Like, it didn't need to be a one and three chance card. It's it's already limited by befowlers and adjacency. Why not just knock it down to one damage and just make it happen?
1: Or even just add some sort of, like, window requirement. Like, looking at the Gort of Drum as a recent example. It's like, hey, I'm going to hit you for two. But, I mean, if you have some push tech to move you away and I don't, um, then you're fine. Right. Right. Like, just adding a little something that's more within the player's um, control than hanging it on a dice roll. Yeah. No, I I would agree.
0: All right. So... Now that we've talked about a lot of the, a lot of the gambits, let's move on to our upgrades uh, starting once again with Phil.
2: Yeah. um, And I guess I will, I will mention here. I, I mean, I feel like I'm being a little critical of these guys, but I do feel like their, their gambits are relatively good. So I, I don't hate what's happening there. I just, I have skepticism about their game plan, but, uh, overall they've got some pretty interesting upgrades as well i i think i think a lot of them are just good and not particularly interesting and i don't necessarily want to mention those ones but i do like um there's one called glorious sacrifice so it says when this fighter is taken out of action if the territory they are in is not corrupted by your warband the territory is corrupted by your warband. So pretty basic but then it has this sort of uh rider where it's just like otherwise in case you've already corrupted and you don't gain anything there you also will gain a glory point and break the upgrade um so it's got an out so like if you're really on your game plan for corruption at least it takes the the sting of losing a fighter away which could be really nice um to effectively mean that the game state doesn't really change uh you know, your opponent doesn't pull ahead because you lost a fighter, which is pretty cool. Um, Don't know how good this is actually going to end up being, but again, it feels like one of those ones where you have to kind of experiment with because Corrupted feels like it's going to be important for making the Warband tick.
1: Yeah, I think this card's really interesting. I f- think that because it says if the territory they are in is not corrupted by your Warband, the territory is corrupted. Right, Uh, Otherwise gain one glory. I think that's furtherly interesting given that they won't be able to help re-corrupt an already corrupted area. So if your fighter donning this upgrade dies in round two in a corrupted territory that's going to fizzle out at the end of the action, you won't be able to choose. No, no, no. I want this death to re-corrupt this area. You'll have to take the additional glory, which you know, great, it's glory. That's, I mean, if I have to take... It's not bad, right? Right. If I have to take something as a, uh, you know, a consolation prize here, a glory is uh, a nice thing to be given, but it won't further that game plan in that particular moment. So you got to be careful about where somebody dies with this. But um, it, if you're trying to use them to re-corrupt, um, but that's it's a really interesting card. Uh, I'm on board with it.
2: Yeah. It's interesting that they... They have it say that it breaks, but they have no way to revive fighters. So it's like, what's why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right. I was racking my brain doing the same exact thing, thinking, why, why, why bother breaking it? Like, unless they're kind of future proofing it.
2: Yeah. Which is yeah. probably the case because it could be broken in the future by some universal, like bring a fighter back thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Props to them for future proofing it and looking forward to that Grand Alliance card.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, hey,
0: Skyler, would you do me a big favor and take Pox Ridden Lucidity so I don't have to?
1: Uh, I absolutely will. You read Thanks. my mind and thankfully filled in it this time. Uh, and that is, uh, again, Pox Ridden Lucidity. This is absolutely my favorite upgrade. Uh, Josh, I'm a little surprised you would because it mentions drawing, but w- what it says specifically is reaction. Use this after the fighter's first successful range one or range two attack sh- action in a round. So they do need to succeed in attack to make this go off. Pick one, either draw one power card or draw one objective card, then place one objective card on the bottom of your objective deck. Now, this is restricted. Uh, We can only put this on three of the named fighters, and those are uh, Rabidius, Poxlick, and Ricket. What I love about this card is not only the ability to draw a card. uh, Josh is quite familiar with uh, my love for drawing cards, and we've been in hot debates over whether or not it's good for the game. But um, if I can pick something that can get me there, that can get me further through my... Power card deck, then I'm going to do it. It makes my power card deck more reliable. But it doesn't stop there. It allows me to draw an objective card before replacing an objective card. And I think this is the first time the game has seen that sequence order because you'll actually be sitting on a hand of four and being able to choose your cut instead of having to choose it out of your three and drawing the replacement. And that is fascinating. Both in the fact that this ability helps you situate your game plan, um, but in that in that sequencing as well.
2: It's a really a really interesting idea. Um, I will love to see how it works out in practice. Um, hand smoothing is a term in Magic where, like, you're not actually gaining a card in the objective, like if you're using the objective mode of this, you're not gaining an extra objective. You still stay at the same number, but you don't lose one either. So it's actually just smoothing out the hand that you have. So it's like, oh, this thing now I can't do. It goes back into the deck to try and do it later, Um, which I think you're right. We probably haven't seen before, but if it, if it can work out well, like we maybe think it can, this could be really powerful but it is so new and such a strange concept for this particular game that I would, I would honestly need to see it in action, but I do like the design space and I hope they
1: keep doing more of this. I agree. And I love that term. Uh, hand smoothing has been added to my vernacular. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh,
0: I also like the latter half of that. I'm, I'm much more about that than just draw tech in general simply because like phil saying it doesn't really gain you anything other than re i would say readjusting your battle plan right uh one of the things that we kind of discussed in chattering about this warband beforehand was the objective ruinous supremacy and just for context let's score in an end phase if your warband holds more objectives than there are surviving enemy fighters I labeled it as a objective that I would take with this war band if they showed that they could score consistently. Uh, so having that 13th objective just to kind of flex over. And if there was more of this hand smoothing tech to kind of take that and set that towards the end of my game plan, that, that would just be that much better. And I think this is something that I would love to see uh, kind of developed as as a universal aspect of the game because I think that's one of the things that most people would agree is kind of uh, kind of a rub with underworlds is you know we do have mulliganing but after that the, the cards are set. There's not a whole lot you can do about how your objective hand plays out. So I, I would love to see more of this.
1: I love the design yeah. space. I do feel if this was just a universal effect, that uh, I, I would be in heated disagreement with you. Like, I, a Grand Alliance, sure, um, but available to everyone, I don't love. Uh, Genuinely, I I like, you know, the chance to find a bricked hand uh, because then you can work on taking fighters out of action and messing with their plan. And I like that give and take to this game. It's like, okay, I don't have a perfect objective hand right now. Maybe I've got something I can play towards and the other two. I know right now I can't. And that just happened because this is the exact uh, suboptimal, you know, card draw. That is baked into my my 12 card pick here. Uh, but when that happens, I never think an underworld you're without options because that's when counterplay really kicks in. And I like that give or take. Like, oh, you know, didn't get the hand I wanted. That's all right. Let's mess with their game plan a little bit. Let's try to focus in on that. That's where I live. I do like this effect. Don't get me wrong. I just I think I'd be remiss to or miss might not be the right word there, but like to see both mulligan and this as common effects. I, I think mulligan serves well enough to, to get the ball rolling and get your game started.
2: Well, it could be another interesting debate episode. We could have mechanics that we disagree about. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my upgrade pick is Bursting Sores. So as a reaction, use this after an activation step if this fighter was dealt damage in the preceding activation. Choose an enemy fighter within 2 hexes of this fighter, deal 1 damage to that enemy fighter. So on first glance, this feels defensive, right? Take damage, deal damage in response. Uh, until you realize that you can run through a lethal and just deal damage with with pocket... I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, pocket hand pus? I don't know, right? <laughs> like, you're, you're throwing some some diseased goop at somebody because you stubbed your toe on a lethal hex. Like, I, I really like this because it does have that flexibility of you're working with a very squishy warband. And I think that's the right design space to have something like this where you choose to do damage to yourself and deal damage to your opponent in, in kind of a clutch
1: situation. So I hate to burst your sore here. However, I'm pretty confident the fighter has to survive to get to this reaction step. You are correct. They do have to survive. And I think that's a bit ugly um, as far as including this in your deck.
2: I mean... For Josh's use case, where you're doing the damage to yourself,
0: though, then you control it. That's true. I I think that's where the flexibility lies and where it's... I don't think it's the best card in the world, but I think it's worth considering for having that ping. I love the... Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I I was going to say, because not only are you throwing damage out in the form of a a potential attack action, which, you know, when we rely on dice, we know what happens. Dice do what they do. But then you also have that, that added ping, and you can either use that to follow up a kill and kind of finish that off, or you can kind of reach a little bit towards another fighter that only needs one damage to be taken down. All that to say is it it comes with some drawbacks, but it's a guaranteed damage when used offensively.
1: I don't disagree. I think you pick great strength over this every time. and And to that end, I think, you know, if you're looking at like a three format, stepladder i think in rivals this card's fantastic this is super fun and nemesis this might make your deck i think it does uh in championship i think you weed it out right so it's kind of like um i like cards like that i truly do where um they serve different functions um or serve you better across different uh formats I will say I
2: really like this design space. If you could do something like Reavers, where you actually want to be hurting yourself to hurt your opponent. Unfortunately, I don't think the Warband actually works that way, even if they have some things that would kind of suggest that they can be that, like, I don't care about defense aggro Warband. But I feel like in practice that just won't happen. Um,. They just don't have the objective support for it, but it's my, like one of the most creative parts that they've ever had in the game. And they've very quickly like backtracked on it and like taken a lot of it out of the game or restricted a lot of it. And I, I understand it can be really a bad feel to have somebody, uh, what's it called? The seven fighters out of action. The, um,
0: Oh, pure carnage,
2: pure carnage effects. Yeah, Uh, when people score pure
0: carnage off of killing your own dog,
2: yeah, when people does that, when people start doing that kind of stuff, it's a real feel bad, but I think it's like some of the most creative design space that they've ever had in the game. And so I'm a little sad that like we pull away from it, but uh, kind of digressing, but like this card, if it was just in reverse, would be amazing. I'll just leave it there, but anyway,
1: yeah, I like those thoughts. Um, You've mentioned Magic the Gathering uh, more than a few times on the podcast. And when I played Magic, Death or Black was my favorite simply because there were so many effects around what you described, where you're hurting yourself to further your game plan. And yeah. I, I enjoy that design space. The reckless sort of nature of like,
2: which fits chaos, right? It's like, I'm going to give up something to gain power um yeah which is cool it's cool design space um agreed
0: so speaking of chaos and really truly terrible segues (laughs) how do we feel about the uh the viability of this warband in each of the play sets so rivals nemesis and championship let's start with rivals
2: um i i will lead off and say i think all warbands can compete in Rivals. I think these guys, between their fairly strong gambits and their very generically good upgrades, can probably do very well in Rivals. I wonder, though, <laughs> with their objectives and their very bad defensives statistics if they are going to be able to hold up if they're fighting against something like uh i don't know uh anything with lots of ping like, which exists in droves right now um lots of aggro warbands we're gonna probably give them trouble uh Gortros and chosen and rivals feel like they would eat these guys lunch um so i think they're probably kind of middle of the pack like they can do stuff everybody can do stuff in rivals everybody's relatively close on footing except for a few outliers and uh they should be fun i think if nothing else because they are such a weird different kind of warband
1: i would agree and to kind of echo your statement i think most warbands if if not all um with, with a valid rivals deck um or even just a rivals plugin right can perform in rivals but they can also meet their own end based on card draw and such. Um, and so with that in mind, like the game that Josh and I had to kind of uh, get ourselves used to these war, ba- uh, to this war band was the plague pack versus Josh's card draw. And also the uh, Vel- sons <laughs> of Elmorn were at the table. Uh, yeah, They
0: decided to show up and roll crits to be my third opponent. Yep. Which, which was just amazing.
1: And, and that that happens. Um, that's Rivals, and that's the landscape. I think if you're somebody listening to this podcast and Rivals is something that you spend a lot of time in, you're familiar with that. It's going to be the place where card draw can hit you the most because you weren't able to pair what already exists um, and you know create a more focused game plan. So when card draw is coming out suboptimally, that it feels extra bad here because you don't have the stat lines to stand on your on your own while you wait for your card draw to catch up. I would agree.
0: All right, so moving on to Nemesis. What do we think about, uh, about some strong picks? What do we think about how they fare in that play style? Well, I will let,
2: I think, one of you take first, Crack at this, but I do want to mention, we've already mentioned that I think we like beastbound assault and uh void cursed thralls for these guys, and I, I think those are definitely strong choices. Um, but uh yeah, floor is yours I, for first comments.
0: I would agree uh with what's already been stated as far as the beastbound assault. I'll let Skyler speak more to the uh the void cursed. Um simply for the fact that they've already got the minion keyword baked into all but one of their fighter cards. So they've got that going for them right off the rip. They've got the drive to be in enemy territory, even if it's somewhat sparingly. And then they also have a surge that already runs almost exactly parallel to uh, one of the ones in Beastbound spawn Assault, which is, you know, move twice and... Have been in your territory, no one's territory, and uh, enemy territory. Whereas Scuttling Horde is score this immediately after your Warband's third or successive move action So you can score both of those with the same activity. Now, the odds of you moving are, or seeing both of those in the hand at the same time is relatively low, but. Being able to have your surge just that much more consistent is is pretty neat. So, Skyther, if you've got opinions on Voidcursed,
1: now would be the time to share them. So, I want to kick these opinions off with... Guys, (laughs) I did not (laughs) expect to find myself here. I did not expect to see a warband featuring the Skaven and get excited but I'm excited. This is a warband I want to, like, play the hell out of and see if I can't make work. I want to beat my head against a wall when things don't work and figure out how to make them tick. This is something you can expect reps out of from me. And Void Crystal... Man, Go those ahead.
0: pointy ears really do it for you, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's been pointed out to me. I shared my excitement <laughs> uh, with the guys behind the scene, and that was the first thing that came up. And yeah, they got pointy ears, don't they? Little a uh, little
0: stinkier than your brand, but uh, they they do have them pointy ears.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and uh, to that point, they also have very. Um, reminiscent of uh, Elvish defensive profiles, right? Uh, I'm looking at one dodge and three health a lot of the time. And oh boy, am I familiar with that. But um, I'm excited. I think that this warband stands to be a unique warband in the positioning game plan space. That you don't always have to set an objectives to further their game plan, and I like that a lot. Uh, it can just be about managing where you are in relationship to no man's territory. You're going to flirt with that line. You're going to use push tank to get you exactly where you need to be in those final power steps. I'm excited. And I think Void Curse Thralls is an excellent pairing for them for so many reasons. If you do need a buffowler to hang out on an objective, that could be a Void Cursed uh, buffowler and therefore can't be driven back. They obviously do need to survive. But to that end, in most cases, that's a defensive boon that bumps you up to a shield result instead of a dodge result. And that can be as early as round one. So I like that. Um, Bumping me up defensively, making sure I can't be driven back, helping my game plan. Love that. And then within Void Crystal, we've got some tools that I definitely want to highlight. We've got uh, three movement tricks uh, two in upgrade, one in their power where we're just getting access to out of sequence move actions. And in you know the upgrade case, don't even have to be void cursed. Loving that idea. And then in objectives, we have the uh, two point objective in threatening presence, I do believe. I'll double check that name. Uh, however, what that Uh, what the objective I'm seeking uh, states is that you have more fighters than your enemy fighters in two territories. And that's something that I think they're going to be able to do, like as they're trying to spread out on corrupt territories, especially rounds one and two, you know, this kind of falls apart uh, in round three. Um, But I'm going to see what I can do there. Uh, Yeah. Threatening presence, score this in an end phase, if there are more friendly fighters. So not unfortunately, equal to or greater than that would make this thing even further um but uh they have a one point end phase called unwitting guardians where our void cursed fighter is on a a feature token so you can have a fowler void cursed hanging on a feature token helping you out with that corruption also scoring you a reliable one pointer and i just i I like all of this um void crystals will be something i'm exploring
2: Definitely cool to have something that feels like it works well there. Um, I have yet to really find something I would want to try Void Curse Thralls with. Um, For my take, I would probably still reach for Daring Delvers for these guys. It's still my favorite pairing in Nemesis. It just has so many tricks and passive scoring options where you don't... All it cares about is positioning and... As far as I can tell, all these guys care about is positioning. Um, being on objectives is nice, but is not required. So that would kind of be where I would end up. But I definitely see Beastbound Assault as being useful for these guys as well. I think that pretty well segues us into champs, though. Uh, if, if we were to take kind of all of our picks for things to try in Nemesis and like jam them all together, it probably starts to give us a picture of what we're doing in champs, right?
1: Yeah, and this is where I really think that this is a gem where you can continue to buff out the edges the further you get into the deck building formats. So as soon as you get access to the Grand Alliance, you get some help with uh, the defense. You get some hyper aggressive cards that they have available to them as well, um, including the one you know we were talking about how much we liked you know taking something away from yourself for a benefit or a potential benefit. There's uh, a card, uh, Josh will have to remind me of the name, that's rather rude. Where after you've seen both the attack um, and defense results, you can choose to take damage and reroll an amount of dice in your attack that's incoming on an already known defense, you know, dice uh, characteristic there. Uh, why not if you're going for the aggro game plan here? Um, or, or leaning you know into the flex side that's a reckless bargain ah that's what that or reckless pact reckless pact yep there it is yep. that, yeah. that
2: one is uh has an extra trigger for zine
1: shore bands where they just get to have a. they free get a reward. they get a free one yeah yeah that's so good <laughs> with ephilim and well eyes right right guys uh yeah yeah it's good for eyes yeah uh, it's
0: definitely something they can do you know
2: it's funny that you mention eyes uh and of course these guys are not eyes i'm not saying that they're eyes but i feel like their base stats and some of their infection design is kind of it feels lukewarm to me where i'm like this works but i don't know how i love it and it's kind of like yeah we can like really work and workshop these guys and get mm-hmm. them to a point where like, we're happy with this. And then you're still going to have to deal with the war bands that have all those better tools and got to do the workshopping stuff. And I just, I kind of hate that when I like get yeah. to the end of my champs workout and I'm like, these guys feel great now. And then you're like, Oh yeah, but I still don't have like half of the tools that some of these other war bands
0: have because I agree and that kind of segues into kind of the final thoughts i have so skylar unless you have some like real particular championship stuff you guys okay if we transition to that
1: i'm i'm good with a transition here uh i've already represented that i get more excited about this warband the more cards i get to uh splice in cool
0: so my my impression with this warband kind of as i was thinking about it in the like grand scheme of releases is that this this warband almost feels like it was designed as a as a video game encounter or or kind of a dD encounter where they're not they're not designed necessarily to be good great dominating they're designed to be across the table and an experience for somebody so if you think about maybe your new player that you're first introducing to the game these these skaven would be a perfect like baby's first enemy right you can do some really rude stuff with them. They've got some tricks up their sleeve. But at the end of the day, that new player is going to be able to rush up, do some simple attack actions, deal with the problem, still still think creatively, right? Like they do have the mechanic where they're going to be in certain regions and you probably need to deny that. But this is more of a fun, crunchy experience to have across the table than more of a competitor. And I think that's kind of where we're seeing a little bit of a divide between warbands is, are these guys tooled for championship? So like your Ephelums, your um, your Storm Coven, your Gnarl Spirit Pack, and then you've got your your, your fun, crunchy stuff that is designed to be fun. Right Like it's just designed to be experienced rather than competitive. Um, so I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on that.
2: I, I'll put out the caveat of like, we will say all of this and be very happy to be very wrong. Um, and you can definitely let us know how wrong we are if we end up being very off base with all of this. but uh, <clears throat> I I would hope that there's no intentional designing of warbands in that frame where it's like, these ones are going to be like competitors and these ones are fluffy. Cause I don't want a purported highly competitive game to ever be designed that way. Cause it like it designs winners and I don't think that that's intentional. It feels unintentional to me. I do wonder. I would agree. Sometimes about like, where do things end up in playtesting, Like, It almost, and I feel like I've said this kind of thing before, and I don't know if it's anything that anyone cares about because it's like complete conjecture, but it's like, it almost feels like these guys had more mechanics when they were being designed, and then they were like it's too good. We need to keep taking things away. So like I almost wonder if they were like okay, we're starting them out with the normal rat things where it's like they are speed five, multiple defense dice maybe some of them can be like revived and they're like, this is too much. They're too strong. Start taking it back. So they're like, okay, they don't, they don't get an extra dice. They just go to block. Okay. They're not speed five. They're speed four. Like this is the first rats warband that's speed four base, which is weird.
0: I hear you. And I, I honestly think that's more of a, like one of those decisions that was crunchy, but not good. They're, they're plague rats like they're not going to be as healthy as normal rats and running <laughs> at the same speed uh, but typically when you go into that design space they're also a little more hardy cuz it's like well this rat doesn't care that it's it's on trails or on the outside why would it care that you poked it with a sharp stick right so and I, and I agree with you I don't think it's I don't think it's great to to be kind of playing the the winners or losers game but it's kind of one of the only explanations i've got for such a drastic drastic difference between warbands like um talking about in recent design space where you've got warbands like loon court and then almost in the same breath you've got efflems and storm coven like that's all games have their balance issues. No, no game is is perfect. But I think we see some of some of these warbands come out, and the difference is so drastic between them that it's like, well, are are we trying for two categories? Are we trying for the fun, friendly encounter and the competitive category, or is that just kind of the nature of the beast?
1: So I'll jump in here. I would agree that their defensive profiles and wounds characteristics available to them paint paint a rough picture. You know, you're fragile. You're going to need to get used to adapting on the fly uh, to fewer and fewer fighters. Hopefully, this warband isn't seeing themselves sh- shut out by round three most of the time, but I, I recognize that that's potentially there it takes you know six seven maybe eight you know successful attacks to take this uh, warband apart uh before like ploys okay um however um and, and, and i well i will say as well i was surprised to not see any sort of uh resurrection mechanic in this warband i think they're really puzzly. I currently would like to think that we're undervaluing their potential along the lines of when Elethane Soul Raid came out. I remember when they came out, people were really hesitant to award them any sort of, you know, strong status. Uh, that they were complicated, that they didn't have, you know, that they had fragile stat lines, that they didn't have too much to offer. And then the players got a hold of them, and it took a little bit of time for you know uh, the soul raid to rise. But now the soul raid's known as a strong contender, and and I hope you know there's elements here that we're not seeing. Um, but one thing I wanted to to cover along the lines of you know experiences mm-hmm. is I, I I like that train of thought that a warband can bring this unique, this fresh experience across the table. And you can have as an opponent, this experience of fighting in this case, these plague rats that are trying to corrupt territories. And that theme is realized. That's extremely cool. And we've seen that before in something like the exiled dead, uh, right? When they came out, There was this horde of zombies that really brought that theme to life where all of a sudden you were just getting surrounded by zombies and they're breaking the action economy on their side to realize that theme and really make it feel like anytime you're up against them, you're against a zombie horde. I love that. And what I'm hearing, you know, you kind of say is you feel like that theme realization kind of weighs in on the strong side, um, as we've talked about exi- Exiled Dead before, whereas this one kind of weighs in on the uh, strictly serving the theme but not handling the competitive side. And I, I, I would just like to reemphasize that I, I hope that there's a puzzle here yet to be uncovered along the, the lines of the Soul Raid and that when you're playing the Plague Pack, it's not just, you know... um Holding tight and hoping that your enemy doesn't uh, succeed in playing their their whack a plague mole game. I I will I will say that I don't think
0: they're I don't think they're trashed here. I think they're going to be difficult to pilot, and maybe maybe they're soul raid material. Where there is something that I'm missing here, I think some of the things that are going to keep them evergreen and keep them at least contending for that, that viability title is a strong surge pool I think they've got some really solid surges that are are fairly easy to score regardless of the environment that they're in. Aggro, hold meta, whatever. they They've got access. They also have some solid move tech which regardless of what what style you're playing being in the right position and being able to orchestrate where you're at on the board is once again always a good tool. The the I guess the flip side of that coin is their their downsides are also evergreen. So those those one-die defense and those low-wound fighter profiles those things are also going to stick around. There's not going to be much support to, to kind of shore that up. So I think regardless of what we see from them, it's going to be fairly consistent because whatever this, this war band is good, bad or ugly, it's, it's going to remain as is pretty regardless of, of what universals pop out. I think,
1: I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Cool.
0: So before we wrap up, any final thoughts on this warband? I should say any
1: more final
0: thoughts on this <laughs> well, war band? sure
1: uh i I did um find it interesting that their objectives uh from an end phase standpoint they have two ones, two twos, and two threes. Ooh. And I think That's in each, yeah right, and I think in each of those uh, counts there is one that stands out as your easier option, and the I, I feel the the second option in both of those glory counts is a little bit of an ask for those glory counts. Uh, like I guess to just kind of give an example real quick, there is a. One glory end phase called the Leader's Privilege. Uh, two or more friendly minions are within two hexes of a friendly leader. And those minions are in no one's or enemy's territory. So, Oof. exactly. <laughs> this card is asking you to position three total fighters for a total of one glory. Putting two of them in risky territory and and bringing your leader up just just enough to be you know if you're looking to protect your leader to be rather questionable um, for a single glory, whereas uh, you know in recent memory we have uh, I believe what is it three surges or sorry uh, three gambit uh, cards have left your hand and you no longer have power cards two glory. Uh, in uh, Ephraim's pandemonium, and it's kind of like I feel like it's a little easier to to get three cards out of my hand than it is to position three fighters in in risky positions. <laughs> Why are these glory totals not flipped uh, <laughs> here? But yep, um, yeah. Uh, however, I do think that when you're designing a warband for arrivals packaging there should be cards that are harder that ask harder questions of you for the glory that they offer because you're playing that rivals format and then as soon as you start deck building there's these obvious choices to to pull out of the deck so i don't hate it but i do question it a little bit
2: I don't necessarily want to get too far on to that topic because it's not related and it's a probably a whole episode onto itself, but I strongly disagree that anything in a deck should be designed to be an immediate cut. But like I said, don't really want to get into the whole topic because that we could have a whole two hour discussion about that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, look at us. I would coming up kind of, the of episode topics. I would kind of hedge Skyler's
0: statement as the, I, I don't think there should be immediate cuts. Um, but I do think there should be some obvious trades. So I know a lot of warbands have a like do we we often refer to them as great strength with a caveat. I think those are those are the type of cards that I like to see in Rivals where it's the hey, this this card works, it does what it's supposed to do, but there are easier and better versions in universals and you could either commit to that damage lane and now you've got great strength and a great strength with a caveat or you can just do that simple swap
2: right yeah a little yeah. different though right because then it's it's giving you a decision point of like are you trying to lean into having more damage it's not a i don't think it gives you an easy cut um unless you like right. just are like i don't need more damage so therefore i'll take the easiest choice but most warbands run more than one damage booster so yeah. But, yeah but yeah i get your point and like i said don't don't need to it's a rabbit <laughs> hole
1: yeah for sure
0: i absolutely agree so speaking of rabbit holes if uh if you guys have opinions you, uh, you lovely, lovely listeners out there, and you want to share them, whether you think our opinions are good, bad, or ugly, go ahead and shout us out at whatthehexcast and whatthehexcast at gmail.com. Check out all our content at themortalrealms.com. We also have shirts now, so you can wear some semblance of our opinions on you with pride. Special thanks to the uh, Mortal Realms for keeping the lights on for us. And coming up next, we have a surprise episode that will help us later. You guys ready for a flavor text quiz? Uh,
2: I will also say just quickly that a thanks to Games Workshop um, for providing this preview copy of this warband for us, so that we can do these reviews early, so that we can have them out for you guys as soon as they drop. Um, always appreciated, and we we continue to love seeing it
0: absolutely and though we may be a little heavy on the criticism it comes from a place of love we love this game and we would love to see it be as best it can so i have your flavor text quiz right here
1: hit us with nothing
0: it. is given by chaos without appropriate sacrifice i feel this fits uh yeah skylar's attitude towards this warband perfectly
1: Ooh, which
2: card is this?
1: Would you restate that one more time? I absolutely would. Nothing
0: is given by chaos without appropriate sacrifice.
1: Is that blessed by corruption? It is not. I'll narrow it down
0: for you guys. It's a little bit of a niche pick. It uh, fits into the category of one of Skylar's favorite types of cards. Is it draw tech? It is absolutely draw tech. And it's Grand Alliance Chaos.
1: Oh, we jumped (laughs) out of this here Rivals deck. Okay. Hmm. Uh, i think
2: i maybe know what it is but i can't remember what the card name is um do you remember what it do is it the one where you have to like kill your own fighter to draw stuff
0: it is okay. so it is vile offering and okay. that is deal one damage to a friendly fighter then draw a power card or two oh, power yeah. cards if that yeah. damage took the fighter out of action. Vile offering. That's
1: interesting. Yeah. Ooh, I like that pick a lot. Actually, it's a good card Spider. for this warband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scooter, you've served your purpose. Draw me two cards.
0: All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, we've got recommended listening. This one is Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins.
2: And for folks who have not heard the song, you will realize as soon as you listen to it why we picked it.
1: (laughs) Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. (laughs) And still tone deaf.
0: Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We have been What the Hex. I am Josh.
1: This is Phil. And this has been Skyler.